Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey everybody, welcome back for another episode of the Journey Within podcast. So this is kind of a special one. I've got Aaron Blisey with me here today, and this is the kickoff for the North American Deer Slam that I'm doing. And when I say kickoff, what we're going to do is we're going to talk general about the Deer Slam, what it is. Um, We're going to get into some of the species that are involved in it, but we're also going to talk about episode one that's dropping later this week. That's the Northeastern Whitetail, and I hunt it in my home state of Michigan. So as as we roll out each of these episodes in each of these locations, what we're going to do is obviously we're going to have the digital episodes. They're going to be linear episodes. But I found the best way to really explain my thoughts and, and everything that happens really on the podcast because there is no there is no time limit. There's there's nothing that limits on on what footage we have. It's we can just explain it and go into detail. And and on these ones, I couldn't think of a better person to actually host me and ask the questions than the dear man himself, Aaron. How are you doing this morning, Aaron? Good man, good Mark. I I uh, I'm excited about this. Like you know, when we started con- or when you started concepting this, I don't know, probably over a year ago, maybe a little bit more than that. Um, I wanted this to be my baby. Like I want like this is so exciting to me because you talked about 30, 31 species, right? You're going to be going Correct. after, and Correct. I'm like, 31. I'm like, how in the heck is there 31 different species of deer? And then you're like, okay, so there's this, this, and I'm like, I've never even heard of that. So I'm excited to learn more about some of these other animals, like a bracket deer, you know, in the jungle Mm -hmm. or, and then, you know, you went and actually hunted one already, but you were explaining to me, like they actually use scrape lines and, and these things are like little dogs. They almost look like, and I'm like, how, like there's so many parallels i think because i'm a big whitetail guy like there's parallels to all these other animals all over the world that you know is a lot of the same way we hunt whitetails here in the u.s that you might hunt them in different countries so i'm excited about this 
Yep, I am too. So I, as everybody knows, I've done a few slams in the past. Started with the uh, the Upland Slam, um, moved on to the North America Waterfall Slam, and then the South American Waterfall Slam. And in each of those um, journeys, I kind of I kind of set a time limit. I wanted to do it in a single season, um, mainly because I. I mean, it's possible to do in a single season. It takes a lot of hard work, a lot of hours um, in the field, driving, flying, you name it. But I really like to like like those those challenges to be able to encompass those in a single season. Um, really added to it for me. Like I was able to just fully engage in in that slam, and and I feel like I learned more as a person through it. And I hope I hope as they progress from the upland to the North American to the South American, like. I got better as hosting and explaining what the species were and the conservation and how in the culture and how it's hunted in those spots. Like on, on this slam, obviously there's 31 deer species. This is one that I'm not going to try even to attempt to tackle in a single season. This is one that's going to take three, four, possibly five years. There's some on here that I know are going to take me multiple trips. You had mentioned I'd, I'd already gone for a bracket deer. Um, I was not successful. I actually got a nasty case of poison oak while I was down in the jungle. And as, as Aaron has seen the pictures, my arm <laughs> swelled up to about, about twice the size. So I was not able to finish, finish that hunt. But like what I learned from that, I know there's going to be, especially when you start going into like that central Mexico stuff, um, some of the Gulf coast whitetails, like they're only limited tags for those each year and the success is not guaranteed. So I know there's going to be locations that I've got to go back to two, three, four times, I want to make sure that I capture and I host the best that I can for each location and do each species and and the people involved justice for everything that we're going to do. Hey everybody, there's one important tags deadline in November and that's November 1st. The state of Texas has their desert sheep application. If you're one of those guys that's trying to go after a sheep in the U.S., Texas is the one that you can't miss. Make sure to give our team of consultants in the office a call or visit our website, WorldwideTrophyAdventures.com. For sure. I like that. And um, you talk about doing multiple trips like that's, I think what a lot of people see on the linear side. So when we say linear, it's like the TV side. So linear television and then digital is like, it looks like you go to an area and you, and you kill like the first time that doesn't happen a lot. You know, that's just the nature of hunting. And, and there's a lot of time, effort, blood, sweat, and tears money put into this. And I think it's freaking awesome because you're one of the most driven people I've ever been around. And when you get something in your head, you're going to get it done. And it doesn't matter how many times it, it's going to take you, you're going to congregate. And I really respect that about you. And that's why I love like seeing all this stuff come to fruition. And I just can't wait to see like, hopefully, you know, if it's going to take three years when this is all done, what it's all going to look like. Cause I think people are going to really like this. I do too. Cause it's one of those things like I found Really, I found early on, but if you can do something in the outdoor industry on on TV, and when I say TV, that's that's digital and linear. If you can if you can do something like that, that's never been done before. Just because there's so few things that have never been done before, but if you can find something that's never been done before, that's unique, and and if you can do it correctly, like it really engages people. Just because it's different. Like if you think about it, how many how many videos on YouTube are there of deer hunts? A ton. A ton. <laughs> like, a it was funny. I I yeah. was talking with with Blanton on this uh, a few podcasts ago, and and we were talking like his history of when he started. I think it was like twenty seven, twenty eight years ago. We started filming with Realtree, and 
he was talking about if if you got a hundred and fifteen to a hundred and twenty inch whitetail on camera, I mean that was something like it had never been done before. Right. And we talked about that transition to now, like somebody shoots a hundred and fifty inch whitetail, everybody's like, eh, I should have let it go another year or two. I know. I'm bigger. And you're like, and I I was like, man, I've never passed on a hundred and fifty inch whitetail. <laughs> ever. Yeah. And never will. Ever. Like yep. I, I like I like even in Saskatchewan, you're hunting up there in Land of Giants, you get a, a big old hundred and fifty inch deer. I'm like, I'm gonna have to send it. I might yep. have to send it. Is but that the like Michigan that, in us though? Because I'm the same way. If it's Pope and Young, she's she's for me basically. <laughs> it it may be like I mean you, you always got like Justin down in Iowa and he's he just lives different because they got I mean obviously bigger deer down there. But still, like if I was maybe I don't know because if you had something on trail cam, if you knew what was around there and you had okay 150 inch deer and but you had 180 inch deer that was semi regular. Maybe you do pass on the 150 inch year. I don't right. know. I, I haven't got to that point yet. Yeah, I haven't either. And I, I hope I don't get to that point, to be honest with you, because I just love hunting and I like killing deer. Yep. <laughs> Let's be honest. Exactly. So. And, and, and being in being in Michigan, like, you're the same way. Like, I've got enough trail cams up. I know every deer that's basically in the area. Now, it's mm-hmm. early season, but, like, I generally have a good idea for what's here. Now, during the rut, things change, like, especially the property that I live on and that I hunt here, you know, like during the rut, I hold so many does here that during the rut, big deer along the lake shore will generally just appear here out of the middle of nowhere. Right. But they're only, they're only here for four, five, six days. Like that, that weird early rut, like they're, they're starting to move a little bit. And sometimes mid rut, like when, when the does are, are mainly bred and there's some of those older bucks that are still looking like I'll, I'll pull some in, but like early season, I've got a pretty good inventory of everything that's, that's around me here. So when I start to hunt, like it's not very rarely early season. Does anything just surprise me? Cause it just shows up. Yep. I've had, I've had cameras up long enough. So then it goes to the point like, okay, so the biggest year that I have in my area is 115 to 120 inch. What do I do? Just not hunt. Now do I, do I not? Or do I, do I target the biggest deer that I know is in my area? Right. Yeah, that, like, I agree with you. Like, I take the top ten percent of my bucks. You know what I mean? And it's yeah. like, okay, what what do I have to hunt? And the, the good thing for me is, you know, I sent sent you some pictures of the bigger deer that I have this year, and it, they're gonna top out at one fifteen. But mm-hmm. the thing for me is, like, I still get excited to to chase those deer. Like, you know, I got a deer at my around my house right now that's like he'll go like one fifteen. But the thing is, I gl- I try to glass him every night. He doesn't, he acts like a bigger deer. Like he acts mm-hmm. like a more mature deer. He's probably only three, but it's like, he, he's not like very regimented to where like, oh, I'm going to kill this deer October 1st. Like it's, it's yeah. not that easy, you know? Um, so I still get excited to see those deer around here. Yep. No doubt. And that's kind of like when you, when you look at this list of, of species that I've got in the slam, like talk about inches and you mentioned bracket deer earlier. Well, the difference between a giant bracket deer and a average bracket deer or a small bracket deer is literally three quarters of an inch because they're, they're basically long spikes is what they got. So the cool part about this slam is you're going to go anywhere from a bracket deer with spikes all the way up to like, I've, I've got axis deer in here, obviously all the, the mule deer species. I included a sandbar in here too, just because there are free range sandbar in California now are there limited tags yes it's going to take me a while to to get one of those tags and go and hunt those but it is a free range deer species in 
the U.S. Um, state of California actually has it listed in the regulations. Like, so it, it it's there. I counted that one. I got you. So, and also I want to preempt everybody too. All this is free range. This is no gimmies here. 100%. This is all free range. Like anybody can go do these hunts, you know, and I know like high fence, anybody can go do that as well. But I'm telling you these, I've been on a lot of these hunts. They're all free range. I can tell you that for sure. hundred percent. 100% free range hunts. And I kind of yeah. want to like, one of the things I did want to explain, because one thing I've learned when I've put a list out, be it Upland, North America, waterfall, South America, waterfall. First thing people do is they're like, that's wrong list. You don't have this. You shouldn't have this. That's too much. This doesn't count. That does count. Here's the thing I say about the ones that I create. They're the ones that I look at and I can justify in my head why I have those there. Okay. Like if you if you, like if you look at this list, there's 31 species. Nobody thinks there's 31 species of deer in North America. And North America is from Canada all the way down to Lower Mexico. Like nobody thinks there's that many deer species. But if you start breaking it down, so when I say when I say deer, it's not just white-tailed deer or mule deer. Obviously, you break all those into into different categories. Once you get to the white-tailed deer, I've tried to include every subspecies of white-tailed deer that is a huntable subspecies that that you can generally split apart. When I came up with this this list, what I did is I took SCI, broke down the species that they have for deer in North America, and I also took what Tom Miranda did with the deer slam list, and I took every 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 possible list that I could that somebody had included in a, in a subspecies of deer. And I put it all in one and I started cross-referencing what made sense, what, what didn't, and, and eventually arrived at this list of 31. I gotcha. So just talking whitetail and subspecies of whitetail, where yep. are you going to be traveling? Like how, how are you breaking down the species of whitetail? Cause I know if you go to Tom Miranda, he's like the whitetail guy, like the whitetail mm-hmm. slam guy. And I think what is there? four or five think, white tails you need got, for that? I think he's got six. I think he broke six. it into six. Like I don't have his list in front of me, but I'm pretty sure it's six. But it's like a northeastern white tail, like a plains white tail. Uh, what else? It, like a Midwest white tail. There's yeah, a couple. So, so I'll break, I'll, I'll just go down the list basically of what I've got for, for white tail, just okay. white tail, not counting mule deer, black tail. This is, this is just white tail subspecies. So the Anacosti white tail, which is obviously just the, just the Island like that I've, and for anybody that's listening, anybody that's been around for a few years, like Anacosti white tail, like I used to read tons of magazines, articles about going there. That's always been one of the places that I've wanted to go to. Dad has always wanted to go there for a long time. So like, I'm looking forward to going to, going to all these Carmen mountain, white tail, the central American white tail, Columbia white tail, which is out in Oregon, coos white tail, Mexican central plateau, white tail, Mexican Gulf coast, white tail, Mexican Pacific coast, white tail, Mexican Texanus, white tail, Midwestern white tail, Northeastern whitetail, Northwestern whitetail, Southeastern whitetail, then Texas whitetail. Look at down the list: Seminole whitetail, Gulf Coast whitetail, and a Plains whitetail. So I mean, wow. if you if you take all those whitetail and start putting them on the map, so here and here's the here's the cool thing: like if you head to my web website, check out the social media pages on the on the digital videos we're releasing and on the linear videos. We've created maps of how we do this. So like, obviously we've got a master map of the 31 and by the time you color code and do it, it's, 
it's pretty crowded by the time you take North America and start putting all those on there. But we've also kind of broken them down into, okay, here's, here's what, like the white-tailed deer and the mule deer and blacktail in one, just the white-tail in one. And then you've got the other deer species being at the axis deer, the sambar, the, the sika deer, and, and all those kind of ones. So we, we've tried to do our best in the mapping so you can see what we consider a region for a whitetail to be also. Yeah. And it's, like you said, it gets crowded quickly. Yeah. Very quickly. <laughs> like, 30, 31 fills up North America pretty darn quick. Yeah. Especially when you get into all like the coos and the Carmen and the Mexico, like there's a lot of species mm-hmm. down in the Mexico range that I didn't even know about. You know, we did the Carmen hunt already, which I don't want to get too far into that. We'll have a podcast about that as well, but we may or may not have, um, Saw the world record, maybe. We, oh, you definitely, <laughs> so we definitely saw the, the muzzleloader world record. We 100% did. Oh, man. What a giant. So yeah. um, we'll get into that at a later date. But I guess let's 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 get into today a little bit more. And, and roles are going to be kind of reversed. I'm, I'm going to kind of host here and, and uh, ask Mark some questions. And this is probably how a lot of these will go, I'm going to guess. Um, and you're, you know, we even preempted at the beginning of the journey within podcasts, like you'll hear my voice, you know, quite a bit on here as well. So I'm just kind of keeping the ball rolling. So first and foremost, I guess, what was your reasoning for doing, you know, the, the deer slam? Like why was this like a, was it a, a personal reason or was it, you know, like you talked about being the first. So like, is that where it comes from or so, how does that plan out? So I had truthfully like, they were challenging, but I had so much fun doing the Upland Slam than the North America and the South America Waterfall Slam. Like they're challenging, yes, or they grueling, yes, but I literally had so much fun doing them and learning along the way. Because listen, like when I was in South America and Argentina and Peru, I had never waterfall hunted there. I had 100% learned every step of the way, every species, what they do, how they hunt them along the way. And same thing, truthfully, on the upland, because I hadn't only hunted a handful of those. I had been an upland hunter my whole life in the U.S., but I had never hunted ptarmigan in Alaska or snowcock in Nevada. Like, I've never done those. I'd never quail hunted in Arizona. So to learn along the way, like, that was a big part for me. And what I try to do is, is like, teach along the way. So I'm learning and, and try to explain that the best I can from a, from a species, from a conservation note. And as I'm, as I'm sitting there, I had so much fun with those. So obviously we're going to continue the slams for the upland and the waterfall all around the world. Like that's just, that's just, I, I'm just hooked on those. And I, and I think the viewers are hooked on that just being different as well. So I'd been sitting here and I'm like, okay, what, what else is next? Like got the upland, got the waterfall. I still do a ton of big game hunting, as you know, um, still in the middle of, of, chasing what I call the triple threat. It's going after the North America 29 with a, with a rifle muzzleloader and bow. Like that's obviously a long play. Like that's, that's not one that's, that's a 10 to 12, 14 year. That's a, that's a lifetime kind of play right there. So what else can I, can I do? Because I like challenges like the, the bouncing from just filming a hunt for a week and then bouncing to the next one to film a hunt for a week. Like I wanted that, but I wanted something more. Like I wanted, I wanted to be able to tell an overall story with it. And I had just been sitting there and I'm like, well, what's the, the number one thing that people hunt in the U S it's whitetails. Like they, they hunt whitetails. So I'm like, all right, mm-hmm. let's do the whitetail slam. And then it kind of like, well, okay, let's take what, what's been done for that. And let's just add the mule deer. And then you get the blacktail. And then all of a sudden you're like, you know what? Let's just add everything in, in North America. 
yeah. and make it to where to where let's sh- let's highlight and showcase literally all the deer species. So I've got access deer on there. Is it's a hundred percent deer species, not a whitetail species, but there are lots of places that you can hunt free range whitetails in Texas or Hawaii. I've hunted free range um, access deer in Hawaii multiple times. It's one of the funnest hunts that you can literally do. Like I want to be able to to highlight access deer because it's something that uh, everybody in the u.s can go and do yeah for sure and and that's what i like about it is you're catering this to the average guy that can go do a lot of this stuff as well i mean i don't mm-hmm. think you know just me off the street is going to go do 31 species all over the because i just don't have a lot of the resources to do it but you know if i want to take and do a couple of these hunts i can do that like anybody out there listening can do the, these hunts that's how I, I like your how you're catering these to you know the general public Correct. And then, I mean, just like, again, we're going to use all the tools that, that I can and that WTO offers. So I'm in for limited draws on, on a lot of these deer species. If I can draw, I'm going to use every season. So every season, every weapon. So I look at it like Kentucky with a bow early. It makes sense because that's one of the States you can chase velvet deer. And I've got the farm down in Kentucky and, and like, it makes, it makes a lot of sense to the Southeastern whitetail in Kentucky because it's right there. Obviously, the Michigan whitetail here, like I'm going to use my muzzleloader in Kansas because Kansas has an early muzzleloader season that if you can catch the weather right is truly awesome. And I want to be able to highlight like that's a different hunt that everybody can apply for and get in on. Like I want to be able to highlight that one. It's early. The deer are still very patternable. The weather's great. Like just like that's different, but it's there for everybody. Sure. Yep. Okay, I want to transition a little bit. So we got 31 species, 30 locations, but I want to talk about the logistics side of this. So mm-hmm. WTA, this is where WTA comes in a lot. And I know you lean on WTA and and I know Matt Gendorf was your guy for yep. all your upland and waterfall and everything. So like the logistics side is something like this. This is a beast. This is three to oh, four yeah. years that you're trying to plan out in advance. Like how does the logistics work into all of this stuff? Like what's your what's your process for all that? So basically on this one, Matt, Matt is continuing to help me at WTA. He, he somehow gets stuck with all the, all the trickier ones, but like <laughs> Jason Berger, Travis Baker, Eric Pollock, like this is, this is to where one, I can use the whole team because we just lay it out in front and guys are like, yep, I specialize in this area. I'm going to, I'm going to be able to get this, get this one done and to throw like, this is an odd one. And I've mentioned it before, but I coach girls basketball here in, here in Shelby, Michigan. So I coached my daughter's middle school team, and then I coached at our high school. So if you overlay those seasons, our, the middle school season um, starts here. It's, it's like the third week of August, and it goes until basically this part, like halfway through the second week of October. So then that ends, and then I've got from mid-October to basically the 10th of November when the high school season starts, and, and then I'm coaching all the way through. So not only that, but I'm – I threw a big wrench into everybody as we start planning this because I'm literally out for almost the the majority of when you consider prime deer season. Like I, a big wrench, November, I would say it's like a semi truck wrench. <laughs> yes. So I mean, and then all of a sudden it's like, well, I'm coaching in January and we got to we're gonna hunt a desert mule deer, and they're like, well, you gotta do that in January, and I'm like, ah, man, we're gonna we're gonna have to figure that out. It's gonna be yep. a, a long three day trip to where something overlays in the schedule that I can take off on a Friday and, and try to do it. So I'm like, you know what it may not happen because I'm only gonna be there for for four full hunting days and then back. So it may take two trips down there to to be able to make that work. But as you as you overlay the season, you're like, okay, bracket deer we can hunt those in we hunt those in the spring down with Balam Outfitters in in Kempeche. 
access deer, one of those that you can hunt it at different times. Like, and you start breaking, start breaking this down of when I can get away. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to maximize that basically three and a half weeks that I have from October to November every year. And I'll be on the road solid bouncing from location to location, to location, to location during that time period. Okay. So with, with throwing basketball in there and then family stuff, I mean, you, you're a busy busy human. So mm-hmm. when, when you laid out all this in front of you and then you've got, you know, okay, you've got basketball games and practice these days and everything. That's how you started weeding out like, okay, we can do these in the off season, but like the mm-hmm. whitetail thing. So like, obviously, you know, like a Michigan whitetail or a Midwest whitetail is kind of a short window. You know what I mean? It's, yep. you know, let's say October 1st in a lot of areas till about, you know, Christmas, you know what I mean? Yep. And you're, yep. you're coaching, like you might only have two or three, four days that like, I got to get out right now. You know what I mean? There's yep. got to be a lot of pressure on that, isn't there? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It does. It definitely adds a little bit of pressure, but like, that's why, that's why I'm going to do it over, over multiple years. But then also like the the northeastern whitetail, which we're starting off episode one here in Michigan, like this is one that's right in my backyard. So I literally like after practice go and hunt. Before in the mornings yep. I'll head I'll head out and hunt. And same some of some of the ones that are closer, like the southeastern eastern whitetail in Kentucky, like that's a to to my farm there, it's a seven hour drive. Like you can pound that out and hunt a weekend. And if you know what you're not successful that weekend, that's cool. I'll be back the next weekend. Right. Or if yep. like like those are the easy ones that that you can just go and hunt or if there's a break in a schedule and I can get a Friday off, I'll, I'll go and do a long weekend down there and stuff like that. But I mean, it, I won't lie. It definitely adds, definitely adds a, adds a level doing the coaching, but I, I'm pretty sure I've mentioned this before. I realized about a year ago, well, a year and a half ago before I, before I started this, I looked at my kids and said, holy smokes, they're almost out of the house. So my first one's going to be a senior this year. I've got a freshman and now I've got a seventh grader. So mm-hmm. I've literally got six years and, and then I'm just going to be staring at my wife. And we're going to be like, man, what are we going to do with all of our time? <laughs> so I, I made the, I made the commitment. And I'm like, you know what? I can travel 150 to 180 days a year. And I love what I do, but man, I've only got six more years with my kids in the house and, and yeah, I'm going to see them when they leave the house. But every parent sure. knows as soon as your kids graduate and they leave the house, you never see them nearly enough of what you want to. Mm-hmm. So I just made the change on my side for the, the next six years. I made the commitment. I'm gonna be home. I'm gonna be in, as involved with them as I can. But at the same time, I I looked at this and meant I can still do this at the same time. Yep. Yeah. And you're kind of sprinkling it in there. You know what I mean? Yep. Like yep. you know, it's not like a hardcore. Let's go, go, go. We got to get it done. You're just sprinkling it. I think you know you did bracket. Uh, when was that? In the spring? Did you? Yep. Do, that's the go spring. For, yep. Yeah. So then you know the Michigan whitetail. It was you know, last year, Kentucky's coming up and then we got Kansas's, you know, as this record, as this will go live, we had already been on those hunts, but you know, you're sprinkling them in there, but you also, you're, you have Shelly in tow wherever you can take her. You know what I mean? You, she's going on a lot of hunts with you and you're really involving her and in doing all that stuff, which I think is really cool. It's awesome. Yep. And we, I mean, just like every year we've got, a, we've got hunts planned this year with Shelly. So she's going to get on her first antelope. Hopefully that'll be her first, she got a she got a black bear in Saskatchewan um, last spring, so this will be her second species that's not a whitetail. I mean, she is she's one that has been very I look at it very lucky deer hunting so far. <laughs> yes. um, but this this antelope hunt will will test because I'm just predicting it's probably going to be a longer shot than she's ever had to do before, and it's a different like they're, you're not sitting in a blind, you're they're not trees to where you're waiting for it. You're actually going and spotting and stalking. 
Yeah, she's killed some whitetails when she was 10, 11, and 12 that I had to wait till I was 28 to kill. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. So, anyway, let's keep going here. So, three to four years you're looking at maybe. Um, we'll see how that lays out just on, like you said, logistics and timing and everything. But let's, let's get into episode one here. And this is All where right. I really... I've got a lot of questions for you just because it's it's home to me. Whitetails, obviously Michigan is a big thing for me. So episode one is is March Michigan hunt and you know it's the edit is really cool and it's all self-film. And that's what I like about it as well, is cause like you like I say, you're driven. Me, I have a love hate with self-filming. I absolutely mm-hmm. hate taking all the gear and everything, but when it comes together, it's like holy crap, that was freaking cool. So Let's talk about this a little bit. Um, first episode, like I said, you know, I first want to get into like the Michigan culture. You and I know it, but a lot of people mm-hmm. might be listening to this might not know what the Michigan culture is. And in my opinion, I'm a little biased. I'm from Michigan, but PA, New Jersey, Wisconsin, I know they have cultures, but I don't think there is a, a hunting culture as strong as a Michigan hunting culture. I'm a little biased, but where's the culture at for you? Like I... I- I would 100% agree with that, obviously, because I've been deer hunting here since I could barely walk. Like at my time, you couldn't legally hunt until you were 12, but I was still at deer camp with my dad and sitting in blinds. And like everybody in Michigan knows November 15th, it's a holiday. I mean, when I was in school, I never I never went to school on the 15th because nope. the school took the day off because there wouldn't be enough kids at school. Right. Like that that was the culture. And I think, man, we were up like 700,000 hunters in the field, 800,000, 900,000. Like those used to be the numbers of deer hunters that we had in the field on November 15th. And obviously it's drop or right around that half million mark. But think about that. There's a half million hunters in the field on opening day here in Michigan. It's crazy. And that night before, like the deer camp, like it's a, it's a multi-day event is how it's always been in my life. Yeah. And that's how I I brought my kids to it since they were young. and, And like that whole culture of, it's the camaraderie. It's, it's the whole, like on our side, it's the family getting together, family and friends. Like it's literally a holiday, not to where like some States start on the first, but it's early. Like, and don't get me wrong. Every state's great, but I would a hundred percent agree that that, that culture in the Michigan deer hunting is just different. Hey everybody, I'm a believer in using the best and that's exactly what Gunworks rifles are. They're the best in the market. If you're looking for accuracy and dependability, make sure to go check them out. Get that gun of a lifetime coming your way at gunworks.com. If you guys are looking for the best seat covers on the market, you got to make sure to check out Rough Tough. I've had them in my truck now going on four years and they are bulletproof. Make sure to check them out, roughtough.com. If you're looking to book the trip of a lifetime, make sure to give the team at WTA a call at 1-800-755-8247 or check out our website, WorldwideTrophyAdventures.com. Yeah, it is. You know, because we travel a lot for whitetails all over the Midwest and you might go into a a convenience store and there's a farmer in there and you start talking whitetails and they're like, you're from Michigan? Why are you out here? And we're like, well, you know, it's... And you, they just don't treat it the same way we do. And there's towns in the UP that that in their books, they look ahead of like, okay, that weekend or that week of November 15th, we're going to make, you know, a quarter, a half of the year's earnings off mm-hmm. that weekend. Like that's, yep. they thrive on that time. If you took it away, oh my gosh, I would hate to know how many mom and pop shops would be 
in dire need or help because in butcher shops, same way. Yep. Like, yep. hundred percent. You know, it's just a, it's just a strong, strong culture here. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's grew up with that, obviously loved it. Still like I travel all over. I will never miss an opening day here in Michigan on the 15th. I've had multiple tags that like I could have went on. This was a trip that was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we're going. doesn't matter because I'm always going to be here on the night of the 14th for deer camp and always sitting in the blind on November 15th as the sun rises. Yep, for sure. And the camaraderie the night before, I mean, even, you know, you have kids, I have a five-year-old now and it's getting to the point too, where for me, like I didn't even care to kill a buck on November 15th anymore. I mean, I do, but it's the night before it's the Euchre games. It's the maybe drinking a couple barley pops and just bullshitting and telling stories. You know, there might be some beer. I don't know. Yep. Some people might do that. (laughs) I've, I've, I still do, but I've gone a lot less now that I'm older than, than let's say when I was in my mid twenties. I got you. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we'll leave it there. There's some mid there's some mid twenties that were man, I, I had hurt. Very hazy. Head hurt. Yep. <laughs> yep. The bush light might have uh bit you a little too hard. They were I get flowing it. Flowing <laughs> good. Oh boy. So let's let's break down your property. You talk about I mean, we have a, you have a series on Mark's YouTube channel called Homegrown. Um mm-hmm. it is all homegrown self-film you Shelly your family or your dad around the house you know explain your property a little bit let's start breaking down this whitetail and what you're dealing with on Lake Michigan because your backyard is Lake Michigan correct we we butt right up to the lake here so first of all like I couldn't when I was laying out the deer slam like I couldn't think of a better area to start chasing the northeastern whitetail which which is Michigan and yes, if you look at the states that are involved in the Northeastern Whitetail, there are states that you can go and hunt and, and get on bigger deer, older deer and bigger deer. But as part of this, I wanted to show and highlight how I grew up. Like this is, this is how I grew up. I still hunt in my backyard every single season. I've been putting trail cams out all season, like the, the same stuff. Like any, anybody in Michigan that's got property, we're cutting shooting lanes, moving blinds. Like this is, this is what we do, getting food plots in. Like this is this is how I grew up, so I wanted to highlight that and being able to capture it. So when I grew up, um, my father started and he bought a, a hunting property that was I think twenty five acres to start with, and just like a lot, you'll hear these stories a lot. A lot of trespassers overshooting, like it was, but more considered public property. And over the years, like added on from twenty five, added a forty here and a ten here and a fifteen. So we've got we've got hunting property that's north of us about 25 minutes from where I live now that I've hunted from the time I could barely walk. It's where I shot my first deer. It's where my daughter shot her first deer, where I shot my first turkey. Like I've got so many memories on this property that go back over 30 years. Like I'll I'll walk this two track and I'll I'll think back to when two dogs ago, like Rusty, who was a short hair for me, locked up on point and I shot the grouse as he, as he flushed it and it went right away down the two track, like those, those types of memories on this property. So I hunt that one here. And then I, where I live, I own 120 acres right along Lake Michigan. And it's weird to think right along Lake Michigan, there's so many tourist homes here and it doesn't get a lot of hunting pressure just because there's so many tourist homes here that they don't want people in. And deer just have this unique way of hiding in between these houses. Like everybody's seen it in the suburbs, like these deer live and get to be old and big. Like that's the same type of thing that happens here. 
Like it, I didn't know it until I moved here. And then the first year I'm like, holy smokes, there are a lot of deer here. Yeah. And then the second year I'm like, holy smokes, there are a lot of big deer here at the right time of year. They're living along the lakeshore. And man, if you have the does, like I, I have a lot of does, let's just put it that way. A lot of does on my property, way too many, like gotta be, gotta be, gotta be thinned out. Like I, I was just checking, um, trail cams the other day and I must have, I don't know, 12 fawns. Wow. Like it's, it's, it's ridiculous. It seems like every doe popped out twins this year. Like they're just <laughs> sets of twins. And, and until you start seeing them all together in the same trail cam pick on the food plots, you're like, man, I think I've got two sets of twins. And then you're like, wait a second. Huh, there's more than four fawns out there. Well, there's eight. And then you look in the background and you're like, there's two more. And you're like, holy smokes, there are fawns everywhere. Yep. But, but what I found is having the does that don't leave the property here, because we did, we did a pretty aggressive cut because a lot of the trees here had diseases in it. So we just we made it, okay, we're going to get rid of all the diseased trees here, knowing that that undergrowth, it's going to take years, but knowing that undergrowth is going to come. Well, now that undergrowth is here and there's so much food and so much cover for the deer, the does don't leave. They're here 365 days a year because they don't have to leave for cover. They don't have to leave for food during the winter. Any time of the year, there's always food here. So during the rut, that obviously brings these big deer in. And it's just one of those things. There's not as many hunters here, so there's not as much pressure. And you'll see big deer in daylight here. Like I'll be driving my driveway and go, holy smokes, look at that deer standing in the food plot on my driveway. Yep. Yeah. And it's crazy. Like your driveway, (laughs) I, the first time I went down your driveway, I'm like, I feel like I'm in a preserve, like deer are just everywhere. Deer are just watching you drive by. And I'm like, Oh my God, there's a full strut Turkey right there. Right. I mean, it's like, what is going on? You know, but the, the biggest thing in that I found out when I drove through your property the first time was like the diversity of, of, habitat. I mean, mm-hmm. you have hemlocks, you have oaks, you have birch, you have cedars, you have rolling hills, you have acorns. Like your property is so diverse in the fact of like they have everything, you know, and yeah. then they've got Lake Michigan right there as well. I, I guess yeah. do you have water on your property other than Lake Michigan? Like is there so any there, creeks or anything? There's a lake south of me, like right on the border of my property. And then depending on how wet the year is, I've got a couple of, of wet spots on the property that will hold water up until basically into November. Like okay. They'll, they'll hold it. And then when it starts to get a little colder, it'll it'll go away. And the unique part is I say 120 acres. My driveway, as you know, literally drives through the, the heart and center of it the whole mm-hmm. time. Yep. And like I, I look at it as... It, it it's so unique. Like everybody thinks you can't drive in the middle of your hunting, hunting property. Well, it's not my hunting, hunting property. It is, but it's also my house. And like, that's the only way I could get, get back to my house on this, on this property. But I think the deer over time get so used to seeing the vehicles come that in a way, when I go to hunt, it actually helps. Mm-hmm. If you know what I mean? They're so yep. used to people like growing up on a farm we would see deer because you were working in the fields all the time. And, and it was like that deer knew if you were in a tractor, that deer would let you get 20 feet away. But the mm-hmm. second you stopped that tractor and went to get out, that deer was gone. But it was like over time that deer learned that if that tractor's moving, I have nothing to fear. And here it's like, okay, the cars come and go on, on the driveway. And as you know, the deer just stand there and watch you in the food plot, 25 yep. yards away, just standing there eating and, and watching the whole time. Now, if you stop your car, yeah, they're going to get a little, a little nervous, but that's one of the unique things. It's like, I've got, I've got the cell cams out on the property 
and between me driving, it's like I, I fully scout my property every time I drive in or out. And with the cell cams, I know when a new deer is in the area and man, I got to get to the stand. Yep, for sure. And you know, to, to kind of marry with what Mark's talking about, you have some storage buildings on your driveway as well that, Correct. you know, you, you guys still have, you know, your dad still has a company that, you know, a, basically a produce company, right? Is that how you yep. call it? Yeah, we're, 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 so we're retired from the actual fruit tree farming, but my dad's always a farmer at heart. So he kept a lot of pieces of equipment. So we've, we've got a barn that, that has this equipment. So, I mean, like when we go to put in a food plot, we've got equipment from dad's farm from 30 years ago. We were, I mean, we were driving a Massey Ferguson tractor that dad's had for literally 35 years and it's yep. 45 Which, years old. Like this, one of the first ones he bought, but like, so like that part of it's cool, but we have a building and you've, you've seen it like the food plot that I hunted this, this deer that we're highlighting in episode one, they were building that building during the time that I was hunting. So they would end at five. And one of the things that I caught there were, I mean, let's face it, there were five or six guys banging hammers, doing all this stuff. Trucks were pulled right there. The scent was all over the place. But the, the second that they left at five o'clock every day, I caught on my cell cams that, you know what, 5.30, 5.35, deer started piling into the food plots. It was like as soon as they left, the deer knew it, and they're like, I'm going to come into the food plot now and start eating. Yeah, it's that's just one of those things that like there's so much activity and still around your, da- your dad's got some workers and everything that still travel the driveway and use those barns. So deer just, like you said, get used to that. And I think, and we'll get into it a little bit here, because I want to talk about the wind around yep. the lake. It's mm-hmm. very tricky for you and something mm-hmm. I never really thought of, but we'll get into that in a minute. I think it will it'll help there. But um, yeah, to go back to your dad's tractor, you're going to see it in this first episode. That's what you guys, you know, your dad and Alec and and you put all the food plots in with. It's really cool to have the history of like your dad had that tractor when he was a kid. And he was telling me when we pulled up and getting ready to do them that day, and he was like, oh, it's this is an old one. This one's like older than Mark, probably. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, holy cow. It was way older than me, yeah. Yeah, so very cool. So anyway, that's kind of the breakdown of the property and everything. And um, let's get into, you know, that day. And, you know, you couldn't hunt the first part of October because, you know, you're coaching, you got a lot of other trips. Like, how do you how do you go into every fall? Are you more of like I'm gonna wait till those rut phases, you know, the end middle to end of October? Or are you like if I can go hunting, I'm gonna go hunting regardless of the time? If I so I just because my time's so so limited, and I'm I my personal opinion is I do not like hunting mornings until we get pretty darn close to that rut activity. Just, okay. just because when I'm going into that food plot, I know the deer are in there an hour before daylight. And I'm like, man, if I go in there, I'm going to, I'm going to move all those off and 120 is big, but mine's a skinny 120 acres to where I don't want to go in there and mess that off. If the, if those deer are staying as regular, like I'll get some of the, some of the bucks will be in there pretty regular half an hour, 45 minutes before dark. And I'm like, I, I, that deer is regular don't mess this up. Wait until you find the wind that's right on a day that you can get off practice early and get in there and, and hunt that deer on the, on the, on the time that's right versus going in there in the morning, trying to mess it up or, or sitting when the wind's not right. And now you mentioned, you mentioned the wind probably, I mean, everybody struggles with the wind, no matter where you hunt along the lake shore here, like it'll say it's going to come out of the, out of the Northwest 
Well, along the lakeshore, because there's nothing that stops that wind that comes off until you literally hit my property. And I'll be hunting 150 to 180 yards off off the off the beach, basically. That wind changes 360 while I'm sitting there. It's one of the most frustrating and one of the most toughest things because you can't hunt the wind like you're supposed to when you're deer hunt. So I just got to the point of, okay, this is where the majority of the wind's going to go. Got to use Ozonics. Got to get in there. But you know what? Man, I, I bugger deer out every single season because I can't. The wind just swirls so much, and there's no way to control it. Yep. It's almost it's almost better for me to hunt on high high wind days because the wind stays out of the same direction the majority of the time. But like a a light five to six mile an hour wind, I'm done. Like that that will swirl 360 degrees around me. I got you. That I could see that. Like it just. Cause you know, you little pockets like your food plot, that's a mm-hmm. little pocket in the timber, you know, and little pockets like that, the wind, the thermals and everything, like it can create a vacuum real quick. And yep. what you might think being an off wind could be blowing right back to your food plot and, or mm-hmm. wherever, you know, this funnel or whatnot, and it could really royally screw you. I could definitely see that. Yep. Yep. But then it goes back to one of those times, like my time's so limited when you get in towards the rut that I'm like, man. I can only hunt this one night over the next 10 days. Well, I'm going to go and do it. Like I may, I may take the chance and blow out a stand. All right. But it's my only, it's my only chance to get out and hunt. So I'm going to go out and do it. Yep. I totally get that. I, there's some scenarios I get with that too. It's like, okay, well leave for a trip this day. You know, my wife works four days leading up to it. I got one day that I can Mm -hmm. leave. Like I gotta, I gotta make, make hay while the sun shines kind of deal. So I get that. Go and do it. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. So let's let's lead up here. So we're in October. You can't hunt. Um, you knew this coming in. Like when you were putting the food plot in that summer, like you knew like your your schedule was already set for October. So you knew that it was gonna be like that latter part of October before mm-hmm. you could even sniff a stand. So let's get into like the days leading up to you uh, you know, getting on this deer. Yep. Yep. So obviously I got cell cams all, all over the place so that I've always have a pretty good inventory of what deer I have on the property. And my, my first priority is, as I set up for Michigan is that youth hunt to try to get Shelly on a good deer, which we've been very fortunate over the last couple of years that she has. And I'm a, I, I'm gonna throw it out there. I'm a huge, I'm a huge, um, believer in the youth hunt just because it does give like in today's world, the youth have so many different things that they can do give them a special season, let them go out for two days. It's, it doesn't, it doesn't make that big a difference for everybody else. And if you can get a child hooked on the outdoors, like I'm a, I'm a huge believer on that. Anyway, when I set up, when I set up my season, like that's my first priority is, is trying to get Shelly a good deer during youth season. Then it, then it transitions to, all right, how do I get on a good deer during bow season? And I've got cameras set up both on our, on our property, the North and here at the house. And what I found like that, up until the early November time period, I have more activity here at my house. So I focus in here and, and obviously it's a lot easier for me to hunt because I can go and change and literally be in my stand five minutes later. Right. So I can do that on a lot, a lot shorter night. So as I led up to this, obviously my cell cams were, were popping and I'm like, man, I've got four really, really good deer at my place. And when I say four really good deer, I had one in the high forties, um, two that I put man, right in that mid one thirties and then, and then a deer in the one twenties. So those are for where I hunt. Those are four great deer. And my mind is if I can get any one of those four in front of me, the arrow is, is gone. Mm -hmm. 
So as I, as I lead up to this, I get a couple, a couple days at home in between the travel the middle school seasons done. I've, I've come back and I've got a couple of days before I go for another trip. And I'm like, man, this is the time I've got to, I've got to lock in and get out these, these couple of days at, at night while I can. Now that my wife absolutely loves that. Cause I just get done traveling for 10 or 12 days. And then I'm like, <laughs> I gotta, I gotta go out tonight. Yep. I gotta, I gotta do this. And you mentioned, so everything I do in, in Michigan is I, I sell film. It's for, for a series I call homegrown. Um, this is the type of hunting that I did before I got into the industry. And when I'm out of the industry, it's the same type of hunting I'm going to do in my backyard. It's, it's chasing woodcock when the flight's down. It's turkey hunting. It's, it's whitetail hunting with a bow. It's, it's whitetail hunting during rifle season. Like that, it's what I do, what I did, what I will continue to do until I can't do it anymore. Yep. And I, I feel like it's, it, I called it homegrown because it's that feel. I want it to be that self-film feel. Um, and you mentioned self-filming is a pain. It, it is because you're like, man, did I charge the batteries? Do I got the SD card? <laughs> it's, it's all this stuff to where you're like, man, I've only got two and a half hours. I got to get out. And I'm like, ah, camera, camera arm, son of a, and then you get to the stand and you're trying to work the ratchet strap. And you're like, so much it's terrible noise, so much. And I just like, I tell everybody, how do you, how do you do it? And I'm like, I go really, really wide with my camera angle. And if yep. I can capture it and I've got the GoPros going in the tree to get the live reaction and, and I just try to get them all going and you know what, I burn a lot of, a lot of cards and I, and I do a lot of batteries on stuff that I'll never use, yep. but I'll leave it running just on the chance that I will use it. Yeah. So and I will up- say, I will stop you real quick, but if you, if anybody out there is listening and wants to self film, like it is imperative that you have two cameras, like Mark does a really to. good job with his GoPros and everything like you know, to have your main camera to get your kill, but to get that stuff in the tree, it's, it's imperative. You have that, like, it's really good to have at least two cameras. Yep. And even some of that stuff, just like when you're sitting there and you're like range, fine. Every time I hit the stand, I know exactly the yardage from all my stands of where this is, where this is deer generally come right here. Like I know all that, but every time I get to the stand, I just do a refresher of hitting the range finder. So I know where everything's at. So if a deer comes in out of the blue, I can, I can do that. Or you're sitting there and you got deer off and you're working your binos to see what it is, or just sitting there like that, that moment you're on your phone playing a game. Like, yep. Have the have the GoPro run that, capture it for a couple minutes, and then you'll have it. Like when you go and then put this film together, if if you're self filming, you get a you get a deer kill on there. You're like, it's not just the 18 seconds of you hitting the the record button as the deer comes in and you shoot. You have other stuff that you can you can edit it in there. Right and now, yep. mine's not nearly as good as when you guys are in the field with me on location, but like it's it's that raw feel. It's and it's and it's as good as it can get, really. I yep. mean, yep. it's you're you're maximizing all of the assets or resources that you have, basically. Yep, hundred percent. Yeah. So leading leading up, I knew I had this couple of days. I had these deer on camera. I get in there, and and we had talked about the wind. And I'll be honest, the the my main food plot, which is this is where we filmed at. It's kind of this dog leg, and I I got my stand right in the middle. I can shoot the whole thing. Um, it's just an awesome, awesome, like, I, I love the setup of it. The wind is horrendous every time right there, though. That's the negative. Yep. So I get it. I get in there. And so what I, what I was timing is the guys are working on the building. Well, I'm going to get in there at 430, get my, get the camera stuff all set up, make a little bit of noise. But the noise I'm making so minor compared to them swinging their hammers and, and moving lumber and so forth and get all set up, get settled in there. They take off at five. And 5.30, deer just start piling into the field again, just like, just like they had been. The, the, the cell cams told me the truth. 
So yeah, I'm what day was this of the of the month? Oh man, I don't remember off the top of my head. Is had to be you the third ki- week I think you killed on the 31st, but you hunted a couple days so, before then. Yep. So the day I'm referencing, it would be the 30th. This was the day before okay. I killed. Okay. Yep. So I'm 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 in there in about, man, it had to be early 550, 555. I look up, I'm like, man, big deer out front. Grab the grab the binos, look, and it's one of the deer in the 130s. And I'm like, he is on a straight line coming right to the food plot. And I'm like, oh boy, here we go. Get the cameras ready, everything's set. And he stops at 75 yards just and does that. And I'm feeling the wind on the back of my neck. And he just does that, that stand and lock up. And he's a statue just staring right through me. And I'm like, son of a gun, he's on me. And the wind shifts (laughs) a little bit and and he, you start to see that like his neck muscles relax a little bit. Oh yeah. And I'm like, Ooh, here we go. Here we go. He's going to come. He's going to come. And the wind switch again. And then he stiffens back up again. You're like, hey, and he does this for, I don't know, five, 10 minutes. And at this point, I'm like, I'm trying to get the camera on him. And there's so many, like, I can't get the good angle. I think there's a couple glimpses of him. And about 10 minutes later, he literally turns 180 on the trail that he came in on and walks the same trail that he came in on straight out. And you know, as a bow hunter, that's when your heart just sinks. You're like, oh, uh, he's flipping you the, the hoof. <laughs> oh, he did the whole time. And you're like, your mind's telling you, he's going to ignore that wind. He's going to come right in. That deer was never going to come in. I kept telling myself, Oh, he's relaxed. He's going to come in. He's going to come in. Never did. So I sit there the rest of the night, saw does, a couple of small bucks and kind of go back to the house. You get that depressed feeling like I screwed that up. And you're like, why did I go out? And you're like, well, I have to go out because I only have a couple of days. Right. And go to sleep, wake up in the, wake up in the morning. I think a lot of deer hunters, first thing they do is when they wake up, instantly right to the cell cams what happened 100%. last night go start checking those bad boys <laughs> off <I> <laughs> yep and in the same food plot like i didn't even check that one first i'm like i on purpose i didn't check that one first i checked a whole bunch of other ones first i go back to that one of the other big deer rolled in like 30 minutes after dark and i'm like whoo all right and he was there on and off throughout the night i go about my day i check man he was in there in the morning i'm like all right I'm going to go back to that same food plot tonight. And I sit in there and, and where my stand's at, I've got a, a big pine tree right in front that I've got branches cut. Like you can't see me in my stand. Those deer can be six feet away from me and you cannot see me. It is, it is just locked in. And I'm sitting there, same thing. Get in early. Guys are working on the building. Get in, set up 4.30, make all the noise I have to. I'm waiting at five o'clock. Guys leave on, on cue. 5.30, the does start rolling out again. And I'm locked in, and, you know, I'm filming the does, but how many does can you film? So I film yep. the does, film film all that stuff, and I'm sitting there, and, and the one benefit of this pine tree in front of me is that it hides me really good. The second one is I've got a giant branch that runs right to left, and that's the one that blocks me, but it blocks part of the view of, of one of the trails that come. And this trail would be coming from the east. And I'm sitting there, and... and it's really tough to move because there's so many does in in the food plot. So you really have to, when you move, you have to make sure everything's everything's on point for you to move. And I look, and all of a sudden I look, and I go, man, where did that spike come from? And the spike's at like 18 yards. Well, he took the trail that the branch was on, mm-hmm. and I couldn't see it until he hit the food plot. And I'm sitting there going, man, he came out of the middle of nowhere. And then all of a sudden it hits me. I'm like, wait a second. 
That's the same spike that's been rolling with the other deer. Every time I got a picture of the bigger deer, the spike was with them, either in the background or forefront. That for whatever reason, they had run together. And I'm like, oh, no way. So I start to do, you know, you do the slow out of oh, the yeah. seat. Like the old in your knees and the quads and the hammies haven't moved. And you're like, oh, man. Everything's and creaking. I, oh, yeah. And I, and I get to where I can barely see over this branch. I'm like, oh, my gosh, he's right there. He's at 30 yards coming in on the same trail. And now you're stuck in this half, this half squat thing. I got no cameras on. I don't have the bow in my hand. <laughs> and you're like, oh. So I commit to going down and, and getting the GoPros on, getting the regular camera on. And with the regular camera, I'm like, he's going to take the same path. Just stay wide. Stay as wide as you can. Get the bow. And I set up, and he, he hesitates right behind this branch for a while. And then he finally steps out. And by this time, I still get buck fever like a little kid i don't know what it is i've hunted all over the world but you throw a white tail in front of me and stuff starts shaking and and doing all that and i mean he's shoot he's 18 19 yards away this is a slam dunk put it on let's end this game and i'm i'm back and i 100 percent grip that bow to death just never release just full grip on and i shoot and i release i'm like oh hit forward and i i'm like no 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 he takes off and everything blows out of the field. And I sit there and I'm like, <laughs> had to exit. Okay. I go back, start watching, start watching the footage again. I'm like, ah, it's forward. And I'm like, man, at that angle though, I, I, I got good angle. You had a good angle. Good, it's a good, I got went back with a good angle. And at this point it's when the panic starts setting. Now you're oh, filming yeah. off the, off the camera. You're sending it to everybody. What do you think? You get half the guys are like, he's dead within a hundred yards. Then you get the other half goes, you've messed up. And he's still alive. <laughs> you're like, and you're like, everybody has a different opinion and you're sitting yeah. there watching the footage. I don't know how you can watch the footage and not know one way or the other. But I, I'm like, all right, I'm going to sit the rest of the time. I'm going to give him plenty of time. I'm, I'm horrendous at always rushing after a shot. Like, I know my pet peeve and what I'm bad at. And it's as soon as I shoot something, I'm like, I'm going to wait. 38 seconds later, I'm packing up. I'm out yep. there to go see what, see what happened. I just can't, <laughs> can't do it. This one, I'm like, wait till dark. Wait till dark. And what I didn't mention is the day before, there was a group of hen turkeys that came into the food plot. And when I said everybody knows fall hen turkeys, that means there's 40 to 50 of those things. Yep. And, they'll and come in Michigan in the fall, you can kill hens, but in the spring, you can, we cannot. You can, yep, you can, kill, you can kill hens in the fall, and you can legally hunt from a tree stand in Michigan also. So these hens came in, and, and I wasn't about to shoot a hen. So like that day before, and I'm sitting there and looking, and they're going, I mean, hens just, they're going mad. They're all over the place. And then all of a sudden, the night before, I'm like, holy smokes, bearded hen, bearded hen. By the time I got my bow and everything, the bearded hen was gone and out of range, and they had moved on. I'm like, son of a gun. So I'm sitting in the stand waiting out this time. All of a sudden, the hens start over here again. I'm like, oh boy, coming to the food plot. So at this time, I get the camera going again, go wide, because literally it's 40 hens and they're, they're just like turkeys. They're cutting in and out and moving all over the place. And now I got to, out of 40, try to pick out this bearded hen, which is a bearded hen, but the hen laid so, so close to the breast that unless it bent over, I couldn't tell the difference. So I'm all set, got, got the camera wide, and then all of a sudden I look and I'm like, holy smokes, this bearded hen is heading right to an opening that's like 15 yards away. So this bearded hen goes, and I, I smoke her, of course, not, no buck fever on that one, literally smoke her. She's right in the food plot, and I'm like, this is a heck of a night in the stand, just one that I'll literally remember forever. Yep. Big Michigan buck, bearded hen turkey from the stand. Now, okay, I'm going to get down because I got to go look at the bearded hen. I get down, look at the bearded hen, and, and I've got like – 
25 minutes left of light. And I'm like, I'm already down here. I might as well just go and take a little peek over here. Take a little <laughs> wander over. Got blood. We got good blood. All right. I'm going to follow it a little bit. Found the arrow. Next thing you know, I'm 50 yards in the bush. I'm like, oh, no. Blood's starting to thin out. Back out. Back out. Yep. So I get, I back out, wait a couple hours, eat dinner at the house. My buddy Kevin comes over. We track it. The deer did a big loop. Ended up, he dead, what is it, 135 yards from the stand. Mm-hmm. He did a, a big loop around, came back down the hill and, and did right there. It was it was an angle. I won't lie. I was I shot forward, but at the angle, I caught his, his one lung on the exit, and he went and bedded down. And yep. because I didn't push him, he died right there. It was one of those, if I'd have done my normal of, hey, I'm going to go tromp through this thing and, and go do it, I probably would have bumped him. He would have been on the neighbors and, and could have went a lot farther than what he did. But, like, I'll, I'll look back and, like, that's a heck of a night in the woods anywhere you hunt. But oh, being, yeah. in your, being in your own backyard, being able to tape a, a, a big Michigan whitetail and a bearded hen turkey all in the same night and capture it on film by yourself, like, I'll, I'll look back on that one. It'll be a memory I'll have for a long time. Yeah. And I, I do want to preempt too, like, you know, you had rain coming in on you that evening as well. Yep. So yep. that, that plays a factor in, and what you'll see on the footage as well, if you haven't seen it yet is, um, Mark does the recovery the next morning behind the deer and everything for just because you ran into some good, you ran into some, some rain and you're, you know, you had Kevin with you, but you also, yep. it's like one of those things like we got to find this thing. We got to get out of here, you know, camera gear and all that stuff. So like, that's why you'll see like a daylight recovery as well. Yep. And, um, it's just, that's one of the things that happens and you, you know, you try to make the best of the whole deal. And we got there at that night. Truthfully, like I've got camera stuff. I don't have stuff to film at night. Like right. I, I don't, ha- I don't have that set up. So, I mean, all of a sudden we're there and you're like trying to use the cell phone light and you're like, it, man, it's faded. You can see the right side of my cheek and, and two of his <laughs> points. And like, what's this, what's this Turkey sitting back here? What is that black blob? And you're like, so we did it then. And then, yeah, my dad came out with me the next morning and, and we did like the official, official recovery and talking about it and, and everything like that. Yep. That's awesome. So, you know, we're kind of getting up here on time, but like, you know, the deer slam episode number one is, is done. Like it's, you know, when I think when you shot this deer and everything, we really started getting into the nitty gritty and, you know, you and I were talking a little bit and you're like, I want to do this for episode one. I'm like, yes, mm-hmm. let's, let's kick it off there. That's your roots. That's, yep. you know, a lot of other people might not understand that, but it's like, I agree hundred percent, you know, and you're going to kill way bigger deer than this as well. Oh, yeah. And this is a great deer. You know, he's probably right, right around Pope and young. Wasn't he? Did you put a tape yep. on him at all? No, I didn't, but he's right under. And it's one yep. of those things like he's a great Michigan deer. Other States are going to look at and go, I can't believe he shot that. But you know what, from my backyard here in Michigan, he's one of my biggest deer here in Michigan. And I've hunted over, let's see, 28 years now. Yep. They're just now, ironically, later in the season, I Shot my biggest deer in Michigan out of the same food plot with a rifle, but that's a different that's a different different story. It was a good year for me here in Michigan. It was a yeah. It was a you good did it was, have it was a good year. It was a good year here in Michigan. Yeah, remember those one fifties we talked about passing earlier on? Yeah, you shot one of them and you weren't gonna pass it. <laughs> no, no. Again, that was a self film and that was a bad deal. That's I think we've covered that one already. But it was a good year here in Michigan. It yeah. all started with this archery whitetail and, and the bearded hen and man, I like. It all just played together perfect. It's a great episode one for the Deer Slam. One of 31 down and captured in my home state in my backyard. Yep. That's awesome. So I got a question. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here. Yep. Obviously, your your main goal, I would think, is to obviously obtain 
31 species and do this deer slam. But what are some other goals? Do you have any other goals that you've wrote down maybe, or that you're looking at that like you really want to achieve through this whole process of this deer slam? So the one thing that I've learned through all my travels is just because somebody does something one way and that's how they do it, doesn't mean you can't do it better or learn from others. So because here in Michigan, we've hunted certain ways for a long time, what can I learn from hunting in Texas? What can I learn from hunting in Mexico? What can I learn from hunting in Canada that then I can translate and just make me a better hunter? And what can I, what can I show that may open people's eyes of how other people look at conservation in areas? How do they look at a deer species down in Mexico versus how they look at it in Saskatchewan or how we look at it here in Michigan or a mule deer out in Colorado? Like how do the people there value that deer and what do they do for the conservation in that area? Because think about it. I mean, there's deer species in the middle of Mexico. Would you, would you have thought that? Like the habitat's not great. Water's got to be horrendous. I don't know what they're eating. So like how does that deer species survive? Yeah. Like that, that's, that's what I'm looking forward to is like, what happens there? Like, how does that deer species survive? What do the locals do there for it? Do they like the deer species? Do they hunt the deer species? Like, those are all things that I'm looking forward to. It's, it's the journey. Like that. Why did, why did we label everything the journey within? Because that's truly what I love. I love the journey. I love learning along the way, different tactics, meeting people, um, like that's, that's one of the greatest pleasures that as I get older, I, I guess I took advantage of it when I was younger in the industry, the people that you meet along the way of being able to do this stuff, it's truly amazing. These people are devoted, like the guides, the outfitters, like everybody along the way, these are people just like you and you share the same, you share the same common goals. You share the same values. Like it just meets some tremendous people along the way. Yeah. For sure. And it's some of the best people in the world are people yep. that are hunters and, and love the outdoor lifestyle. I do want to take, put a spin on the conservation part of, you just brought up something here that really triggered something for Michigan. You know, this year in Michigan, they are implementing a, something that I think it's needed to happen for a long time. Cause I feel like the Michigan deer herd is, is very mishandled. Um, mm-hmm. I really do. And I don't know how you feel on it, but this year is mandatory telechecks. Um, they have Michigan has an app now that, you know, every deer that you harvest that you have to check it in, um, whether it's via online or through this app. And I really, really want any Michigan hunters out there listen to this, please like exercise that because I know not every person's going to do it because it's like a new thing. And there's probably a lot of old boys out there stuck in their ways. And it's like this, you know, I get it, but like take five minutes and do this because it's only going to make our herd better. Like I, yep. we talk about, you know, being able to chase bigger deer and, and a healthier deer herd. What I mean by a healthier deer herd, you talked about how you have way too many does. I have way too many does. You know what I mean? Like we, you know, we need to figure out ways that we can manage this whole herd and, and our harvest numbers, I think are so mm-hmm. skewed, so skewed. I don't even know where they get this fictitious number from. I'd love for someone to explain it to me, well, but you know, I think we're going to get the steps in the right direction with this telecheck. Well, so the, I mean, the numbers, they got to be guessing because there was a check-in process before, but the closest check-in for me was 45 minutes away. Mm-hmm. So the only, truthfully, the only check I would go and bring in for, for the deer was my daughter's deer because they would give her a patch. Right. And that was kind of part of the, the youth thing of, of 
man, she had this vest when she was growing up that, that had a bunch of deer patches on from, from successful past years. But like nobody, nobody was going to bring in a doe back right. then. We really well, had no idea. And it no wasn't idea. mandatory though, was it? Like they didn't no, make no, you No, it wasn't mandatory. It. it was just yeah. if you wanted to, they would give you a patch. But like nobody would call and go and do that for a doe. Right. Like there's so like everything's so skewed of, of like the numbers. I like, that's where I'm interested too. Like how many does do we shoot as a state? I mean, I can just with my own eyes guess not enough. Right. There's not an encouragement. And think about this. It wasn't very long ago that you had to apply to get a doe tag here. For sure. Think about that. It wasn't yeah. very long ago that I had to apply to get one doe tag. Yeah. And I like, like I just did a podcast on my podcast with a couple of friends of mine that, that hunted Oklahoma last year, hunted some public land in Oklahoma. And they talked about how you can go on, I don't know what site it was. I can't remember what they said, but you can go on the site and you can click a county. You can see in that county how many does were taken, how many bucks, what buck they were. If it was like a 10 point, if it was an eight point, you can see in that county, you know, where all these deers were, deers, deer were taken. And I'm like, that is some information I would love to see. You know what I mean? Like, and that's, that's a, that's a conservation office that I feel like has got shit in check. You know what I mean? And that's where I want Michigan to be. And we can get there. Like, this is the first step. Like it, Everything takes time. Like we can get there. There's been a lot of complaining. Like I still go back. Does Michigan with so many hunters need to be a state that you shoot two, two bucks with? No. Would would most, (laughs) would most, would most people be, I I love hunting. I I love pulling the trigger, be it, be it on a a release for a bow or my rifle or my muzzle loader. Like I, I love pulling the trigger. I've, um, I would be more than happy with one deer a year versus having or going to shoot two. Yeah. Now, because I have two, I continue hunting. If I had one, like I've thought about this a, a long time. If I had one tag, would I change the way I hunt? And I think I would. I would because too. Because no, knowing that I only have one tag, would there be deer that I would pass on knowing that I only have one that if I, that if I, shot my season would be over and i think the answer like i I thought about the song heart i think my answer is yes it may not be the first season like i may see a a hundred and sixteen hundred and eighteen inch deer and you know what that first year i i may go you know what no i'm gonna i'm gonna shoot that one of the first two times i'm out in the field but like year two or year three to where you where you've shot deer that class and you're like man on my trail camera i've got a hundred hundred percent so you're like I'm not going to do it because there's a bigger deer here. I want to see if I can play chess with this deer and eventually get them by the end of season. I think my mindset changes. So yeah, it may not change that first year having one tag, but I think it's one of those things over the course of time, you'll gradually see. And here's the thing that I tell everybody, Michigan has the genetics. Our deer herd has the genetics to be what a Wisconsin is, what a Illinois, Ohio, like we have the genetics right here. The problem is we shoot too many bucks. And we shoot them too young. Yep. So let's take let's take one of those one of those bucks away, limit it to a one buck state, and we'll watch our ages jump instantly. And now all of a sudden you're going to be like, man, our hunting got a lot better. Mm-hmm. But with that, we do have too many does as a state. Yeah. We like just all over the place. When you drive past a cornfield and you see 150 does in that cornfield, you know we got an issue. But to your point, if we go with a one buck. You know, you and I or whoever, you shoot that one buck, you might go mm-hmm. shoot two more does because you yep. want more meat, 
So yep, in turn, exactly. I think you're going to see our whole herd take a balance. You know what I mean? I think, it's going to get a lot more balance there. I think so as well. I think yeah, so as well. I, let's I agree face 100% it, what, with you. Let's face it. What's what's better, meat? A doe or or a buck? I mean, let's, oh, let's yeah. face it. Doe, does are way better. If you're going out to if you're going out to get meat, I mean, let let's take some does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one and, of the and it's a it's an interesting. I don't know if it fits here or not. So we had, we'd been talking. There's a group of group of friends here. We're thinking about doing a doing a like a a doe rally or a weekend to where you're like go into two teams. Let's let's go see as each team. Let's see how many does we can get down during archery season. Just yep. something to try to encourage in our in our area to go out and get some more does because it's one of those things. And I'll admit, the same mindset that I had is okay. I'm gonna I'm archery hunting. I don't want to shoot a doe right now because what happens? Exactly. Like you, you don't want to mess that up. And then all of a sudden you're you're like, okay, I pushed that. Now it's rifle season. Well, I don't want to shoot a doe right now. I don't want my mm-hmm. gun to go off and scare anything. And now all of a sudden it's after rifle season. You're like, man, I'm going out for a buck that's left over, and you're like. Yeah, I don't want to shoot a doe right now. When's the right time to shoot a shoot a doe? Like my mindset has always been well, I don't want to shoot a doe because it may mess may mess up my buck hunting. So what I've done now is when I go out, I'm just like, I'm gonna pick this day, I'm gonna go out in the area that I go to shoot a shoot a doe, the stand I go at, I don't have any big bucks at. I just mm-hmm. I know I'm going to this stand on whatever day is this is just straight doe hunting. Yep. I have the same kind of deal, you know, at our, at our, at our family farm, our cabin, it's, you know, we've got a 65 acre hay field. And if you really hone in on, if you're looking for a doe, you know, you can go sit on the edge of that hay field in, in, in October and more than likely you can get, I mean, they're still on that feed pattern, bed to food yep. early. You can get in that dough, get her down. I'm the same way. You know what I mean? It's like you, you want to wait till after Thanksgiving or whatever. And it's like, well, how many of them have might have buck fawns in them or then like, yep. it's, you know, so it's like you're always playing this what if game and, and everything. And I, I totally get it. But I, I do think you do that one buck and I agree with you. It's going to change a lot of mindsets for the first year. It's like, okay, I'm going to shoot the same deer I've been shooting. But then next year when they're rolling bean fields, glassing, you're like, holy shit, there's two 140s out there. Yep. And like yep. you get on your camera, it's like, wow, there is a 150 here. Okay. Yep. Think, and I honestly think within three years of doing a one buck rule, you're gonna see a drastic change. I mean, uh, it's gonna be 100%. astronomical. You would have multiple one thirty to one forties if you don't have them already. Yep. Multiple of them. I, I swear, I can almost guarantee you it's gonna happen. Well, it's just a numbers game. So you start letting so many more deer go. So a year and a half old deer makes it two and a half. Two and a half year old makes it three and a half. Three and a half makes it to four. And you know what a three and a half to four and a half year old deer is. That oh, yeah. sucker's smart. Yep. So now all of a sudden you got that deer and that there are a lot of those deer that'll make it to five and a half or six and a half, but you've got those deer out there. And now it's something that you're where like, man, if I've got a 160 inch deer out there, I'm going to get pretty darn serious on trying to figure this thing out, knowing how smart this deer is. And he may only show up once a week in daylight. Like yep. that, that's like, that's, it's just like the other States that have one buck limits. Like I go back, Iowa, what does Iowa have that we don't have here in Michigan? A little bit more feed, mm-hmm. but we actually have like along the lakeshore here, we have more milder winters. Like the deer have a, a more chance. We have more cover for them. We exactly. still have a lot. We yeah. still have a lot of cornfields. We still have a lot of feed here for them. We mm-hmm. have this. We have the genetics to grow giant deer here. Yeah, and nobody talks about Indiana. Indiana to me is another Michigan. 
Like Indiana yeah. is a sleeper state, like a mother scratcher. Like it's Ohio, same way. And yep. you know, we have the same amount of of cover as those states, I would say. You know, Iowa's got more food, like you said, but we've got way more cover and mm-hmm. diversity in in my yep. opinion. So yeah. I agree, man. Let's I we're on a soapbox, but yeah, I we got we, we, we went off. We went <laughs> off on subject again. Anyway, episode one of the Deer Slam. The Northeastern Whitetail here in the home state of Michigan. And yeah, we did go off on a little tangent there for about 15 minutes. Yep. Well, good deal. So everybody, you can you can start thinking or you know seeing these come out on the Journey Within podcast, and we're going to break down each one of these hunts that Mark goes on. You might hear me. You might hear Justin. You might hear, I mean, you're going to hear Mark, obviously. So kind of whoever's on that hunt, it's going to be a, a panel kind of like this, and we're just going to kind of go back and forth. So I'm really looking forward to it. Mark, thank you for taking the time to do it, and uh, always enjoy it, man. Oh, Aaron, thanks for doing this, man. I'm looking forward to doing this. 30 more left. How about that? Yeah. (laughs) Let's get after it. (laughs) Perfect. Have a good day, buddy. You too. Thank you everyone out there for all the support and downloads. Don't forget, go leave a five-star rating and a written review on Apple Podcasts. That always helps. Also, if you're looking to book the hunt of a lifetime, go visit WTA at WorldwideTrophyAdventures.com or give the team a call in the office at 1-800-755-8247. 